I'm going to pray now before Duncan comes and speaks to us. You might like just to listen or make it your prayer by saying Amen at the end. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the precious treasure you've given us in your word. Help us always to be open to everything that you have to say to us through it, knowing that it's for our good. And we pray for Duncan, Lord, that you will so empower him by your Holy Spirit now that everything he says would honour you and bless us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Well, hi, friends. Uh, it's good to be with you again, speaking on this wonderful part of Romans 8. Uh, no prizes for guessing where I am this week. Uh, I'm up on the beautiful view of the Flurio on the bluff. Uh, and the reason I've come up here to speak about this passage is it, it's sort of like we've been travelling up our own mountain over the last few months through this rich chapter of Romans 8. Uh, and what we're going to do this week and next week is just kind of, we, we're, we're, we're almost at the summit. Next week we'll get there. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're, we're just going to take a moment to sit back and enjoy the view. Uh, there's a spectacular view from the summit of Romans 8. Uh, and I hope we can get a sense of that and rejoice in that over the next couple of weeks. Today we're going to think about victory, uh, what it might look like to live a victorious life. I wonder what um, sort of that brings to your mind or how it makes you feel when you hear that. And maybe it sort of uh, is a bit cringeworthy for you, this idea of living victoriously. This whole industry is set up to uh, answer that question. And usually the answer is something along the lines of buy our product uh, to um, give you that victorious life you're after. There's Christianized versions of that. Um, that sort of say that being, being a Christian, knowing Jesus, should mean that you shouldn't experience um, suffering, that you should have a life of prosperity and ease. Well, uh, friends, that's not actually the, the victory that's spoken of here in Romans 8. The refreshing thing about Romans 8, I hope you've uh, felt this as we've gone through, the really refreshing thing about this chapter of the Bible uh, is that it's just so honest about the reality of suffering and pain in the world. Uh, it's talked about groaning, suffering, weakness, longing. Uh, it's not at all triumphalistic. It's not this sort of skating over the troubles of life. Um, there's no triumphalism here. And yet there is triumph. 
there is a victory. It's an incredible, it's not a victory that I achieve, that you achieve, that we achieve through our own efforts. It's not a victory we sort of manufacture or that we have to work for. Uh, it's not something that we get through the strength of our own faith. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much more wonderful and lasting and transforming than that. So I hope we get a sense of that. That's uh, what we're going to look at today in these, in these verses. Uh, Paul uh, starts this end to the chapter by saying this, What then shall we say in response to these things? Uh, what are the these things? Paul's got to this point and he's saying, well, so what? <laughs> what's, what's our response to all that's, that's, uh, he's been talking about? I, I think it, it's actually pretty much the whole letter up to this point. Uh, Paul is, this is like a summary point. He, he's got to the mountain peak of this point in Romans and he's sort of taking a breath. But if we just take chapter 8, um, if we just take ta- chapter 8, what are the these things that he's responding to? Well, remember that wonderful opening to the chapter in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What should we say in response to that wonderful declaration? Uh, He goes on to talk about uh, us being transferred into the realm of the Spirit, not in the realm of the flesh anymore. Uh, And the wonderful work of the Spirit in our hearts by um, convincing us that we are God's children, that we've been adopted into His family, that beautiful truth. Uh, it talked about our present sufferings not being worth comparing to the glory that's ahead of us. Um, he's talked about how the Spirit helps us and intercedes for us in prayer. And then last week, that, those great um, kind of uh, cascading chain of blessings that are ours in Christ. It gets called by some people the golden chain because it's these links that can't be broken. Uh, we are foreknown, predestined, called, justified, glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? And Paul's own summary of these things is in the next few, few words. Uh, his summary of it is, God is for us. God is for us. Uh, if, if you had a summary of the whole chapter so far, that's what... what Paul wants us to really settle in and receive into ourselves. God is for us. Uh, And he says, if God is for us, well, what he does then is he he goes into these uh, four different questions. He imagines these uh, questions that might undermine our confidence that that's the case, that God really is for us. Uh, And he has these four different questions, and we'll travel through them each. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? Uh, People being against us, that can undermine uh, our confidence that God is for us. And so Paul says, who can be against us? Uh, And on one level, the obvious answer is no one. If God's for you, uh, no one can. Uh, But on on another level, though, the the answer to that question is, well, who can be against us? Anyone. Everyone. Everyone can be against us. But who cares? Uh, That's the kind of... Um, that's what Paul's getting at here. Uh, it doesn't matter who is against us. Compared to the wonderful reality of knowing that God is for us, they all pale into insignificance. If God is for us. Who can be against us? And what Paul does here is he, 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 goes, he goes from um, the greater thing to the lesser thing to sort of prove this for us, to uh, urge us to accept this. 
He says, if God did not spare his own son, that's the greatest thing. If God's already done that, if he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. What was happening in Jesus was not Jesus trying to convince a distant God, but this was the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, acting to save his elect, his chosen people. And Paul says, if God did that for you, if he didn't spare his only son, if he's done the greatest thing, of course he's going to do the lesser thing. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Um, If there's one thing that's going to steal your assurance, your contentment in Christ, in the gospel... Uh, there's, I mean, there's many things that will threaten to do that, but one thing that's going to do that for sure is what's, what's called the fear of missing out, or maybe you've heard the, the phrase FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, it's actually a really, it's a, a big thing. Uh, it talks about something that people have always struggled with, but it's sort of articulated it in that way, the fear of missing out. I've just got FOMO. Uh, it's, it's sort of um, this way of looking at the world that leads to real anxiety and discontentment and envy. Um, that, that nagging thought at the back of your mind that uh, there's always something that you're missing out on, that there's something else that you could be enjoying or having that you're not. looks different for different people, of course, um, uh, and different sort of generations. If you're millennial or younger, it's probably related to your use of social media. Um, if you're of an older generation, perhaps, perhaps for you, it's that fear of um, not being able to do what you used to or enjoy what you used to or things being taken away that you used to love. That fear of missing out. Well, friends, what Paul is saying here is that the, the gospel is the great FOMO buster. Uh, it's the great and ultimate answer to the fear of missing out. In Christ, you will miss out on nothing. In Christ, you will miss out on nothing. Every, every good desire of your heart will be fully and eternally met and satisfied in Jesus. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You'll miss out on nothing. And so who can be against you? Who cares? First question. Second question. Uh, the scene sort of changes here, and Paul imagines a courtroom scene. He says, who can bring any charge against those God has chosen? Um, if you're familiar with Romans, you might know that back in chapter 3, there's also a courtroom scene. It's the same uh, kind of uh, thing. And in that courtroom scene, it's bad news because everyone stands before the throne of God condemned under his righteous judgment. There is no one who is righteous, not even one. Everyone is, everyone is justly accused. And the wages of sin is death. And that's the state of humanity in Adam. That's the state of you and I outside of Jesus but we have been brought into Jesus. We've been brought into union with Him through faith in Him. And because of that, that charge that stood over us is forever wiped out. There is no condemnation. God has chosen you and justified you. 
Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who, will con- uh, who is the one who condemns? Third question. Again, it's the same sort of image. And the answer is no one. No one will condemn you. Who um, brings a charge against you or condemns you? Um, for Paul, who's writing this, it would have had a real kind of legal aspect to it. Um, charges being laid against him um, by the authorities. And that's not at all unexpected for followers of Jesus. It's not all out of the picture for you or for me. Uh, but there's more going on here. There's, there's sort of a, a global picture of this accusation and this condemnation that Paul has in mind. It's an all-encompassing picture. So who condemns you? Uh, maybe it's the, opinion, the opinions of other people. Maybe they just have a real, or particular people. Um, maybe they have a real grip on your heart. Who is the one who condemns you? Maybe, um, in fact, you feel you hear the voice of your own conscience condemning you. Maybe it's not the opinions of others that you struggle with more as much as the voice within you. Well, perhaps you feel all of that, friends, the accusations and condemnations of others. Well, if you do, and all of us do at some point, here is Christ's answer. Here is God's answer. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Paul goes to the great victory that God has won. Uh, Jesus died for you and rose again in power and glory and he's ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he is there speaking for us interceding for us if you are trusting in him and if he is interceding if he's speaking for you then no one else not even your own conscience can overrule that Who is the one who brings a charge? Who condemns? Well, if you're in Christ, no one and nothing. Fourth question. What shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? We're going to focus more on this next week as we take the next few steps to the top of the mountain. Uh, But Paul lists here a whole bunch of present hardships and most of them are, uh, all of them except the last one, I think, are ones that Paul had faced at this point and Paul did face the last one. Um, at the end of his life, he says, Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. These are things Paul knew. Uh, and he's not undermining them. He's not saying that they're nothing. No, they're real. They're real struggles and hardships that Paul experienced. And there's nothing new. Paul quotes from a psalm, Psalm 44. This is psalm of lament of God's people that they were being crushed um, uh, even though they had not forgotten God. They hadn't given up on Him. They were suffering not because of their sin, not because of God's lack of love for them. They were just suffering as part of this fallen world. Um, And Paul says that's his experience too. But whatever comes, the trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, 
nakedness, danger, sword, facing death all day long. In the most extreme circumstances, Paul wants us to know that nothing can affect our eternal destiny. Who shall separate us from this reality? The love of Christ. And he finishes with these, this, these wonderful words. No, in all of these things. And you notice he says, in all these things. He doesn't say, after all these things are finished, then. He doesn't say, just sort of, let's forget about all those things. He says, in them, in the middle of them, we are more than conquerors. Not just victory, but super victory. We are more than conquerors. What an incredible thing for Paul to say. Uh, imagine him suffering hardship, trouble, persecution, famine. Um, you can read about in, uh, through the book of Acts the sorts of things that Paul uh, encountered. Imagine him right in the middle of that saying, I am more than a conqueror. Well, that's what he could say. And that's what you can say if you're in Jesus. But here's the big thing. Uh, he doesn't say, I'm more than a conqueror because of the titanic effort that I've put in. He doesn't say, I'm more than a conqueror because of the strength of my faith. What does he say? I, we are more than conquerors, not through ourselves, but through him who loved us. It's not through ourselves. It's not dependent on our performance. This victory isn't achieved by us at all. It's already been achieved in Jesus and it's given freely to all of his people by grace. If you are united to Jesus, if you've put your trust in him, then you share in his death. Uh, and Paul's already talked about the sufferings that come along with that. But you also share in his resurrection uh, and his glory. If you are not yet united to Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in Him, that's what is offered to you, this incredible, incredible security and assurance that you, no matter what happens in your life, can be more than a conqueror through Him who has loved you. Uh, your victory doesn't depend... This, this victory that Paul's talking about here, it doesn't depend on you living a victorious life in your own strength. Uh, and friends, I think that there's just such comfort here, uh, especially uh, in those times when we just don't feel victorious. Uh, you've had those times, I have as well, and perhaps you're in it right now. Um, uh, perhaps it's your own illness, your own incapacity. Uh, perhaps it's a mental health condition, you know, your, your depression or your anxiety. Perhaps it's your ongoing struggle with sin. Whatever it is, this victory, this victory isn't dependent on you. It's dependent on the one who loved you and who gave his life for you and who died and rose again and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father and is interceding for you in all of those things and through them all and because of him, because you're connected to Him through faith. That's why you are more than a conqueror. You share in His great victory. So your victory doesn't depend on you, and it's true even, even in those moments, the darkest moments, when you don't feel it to be true. It depends utterly 
and solely and wonderfully, not on yourself, but on your victorious Lord, on him who loved you and gave himself for you. Through him, through him you are more than a conqueror, we are more than conquerors. And so we can go back to the start of this passage and say, through him, God is for us. Who can be against us? God is for us now. He is for us into eternity. Okay, one more, or a few more steps to take until we reach the very top of this wonderful mountain and take in the glorious view of God's love for us. But friends, this week, let's go living in this victory that is won for us in Christ. Remind yourself of it. Um, Preach it to yourself every morning, every day, and live in its peace and security. Know that it's true of you even when you don't feel it. And rest in Christ this day and this week and forever. Um, let me pray for us. I pray. Our God, we thank you for this wonderful passage. And we thank you for that incredible reality that God, that you are for us. We don't deserve it. Um, our Lord, we know that we actually deserve the opposite. But by your grace, by your kindness, by your mercy, in Jesus, you have brought us into your family and you've called us sons and daughters. And not only that, you share your glory with us. You've chosen us, you've justified us. Jesus is interceding for us. And so in all of whatever comes our way, any trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, uh, any trouble at all in this life. Help us, Lord, to receive and hear and take into ourselves and rest in and thank you for and live in the light of this great truth that in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we pray it in his wonderful name. Amen.